Hey, it's Greg Stanley. As a new aspect of my automotive passion and hobby, I am a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. If you need assistance consigning a collector car at Amelia Island, Pebble Beach, Auburn, West Palm, or Hershey, email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we have a true car enthusiast, Barney Ruprick. Barney, how are you doing today? Very good. Yourself? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for joining us. And I know, you know, we both help out somewhat with RM Sotheby's. You're a car specialist and I'm a consultant. So we have our online only open road sale opening today. So if you would, could you kind of give us an overview of the auction that's starting today? And then we'll get into a little bit more about your passion for cars. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the sale opens today and it's running in a timed format. So uh, everything's available to, you know, place bids now. And then the sale itself will happen uh, about a week from today, uh, the following Thursday, and things will close in a consecutive fashion. So uh, very much like a standard time format, you know, enter your bid and, you know, click away until you uh, win a car. My passion lies in, you know, basically anything on four wheels. You know, I'm a a big post-war sports car fan. You know, I'm equally into the 80s and 90s, you know, boxes of (laughs) Lancia Delta Integrales and RS200. So, you know, pre-war Bentleys also gets me really excited. So, you know, I'm equal opportunity on most things. Yeah, that's really, really cool. Now, are there a couple cars that you could call out that are coming up in this auction? I know a few, and the cover art for this particular episode is a Jaguar Series 1. Can you tell us a little bit about that car? Yeah, it's a great car. You know, factory colors. It's a really menacing black. It's a 1961, so it's a Series 1 car. And of the Series 1s, it's the most desirable, given that it's an outside bonnet latch, welded louvers, and flat floor. And those were the earliest of production in 1961. Uh, halfway through 61, I believe, they lost the outside bonnet latch feature, and that's really prized by collectors. And it's a fantastic car, very, very high-level restoration with, you know, Jaguar Concours results, you know, to back that up and judging sheets. So, you know, it really is, you know, among the finest uh, E-types around, and, you know, people say it's the most beautiful car ever made and it really is most desirable of them all right right yeah really beautiful car then i noticed we have not the opposite but quite different we have a handful of series two corvettes what can you tell us about those yeah so that's coming from a great collector long-term corvette ownership there you know edward terry is the man who curated the collection and it's being offered from uh his garage Really, really great cars, you know, kind of the best of the best. They have a 1965 Fuley with factory side pipes, which is, you know, almost unheard of because that uh, option basically doesn't exist in 65 as being the last year for fuel-injected Corvettes all the way up until, I think, 1982 or three. So something really special there. And then equally, you know, a 1967 car built by A.O. Smith, which was a contractor for uh, General Motors at the time and built the bodies and a really special car with a unique uh, stinger hood as a small block a lot of interesting history there and then their 64 Fuley is also a, a Duntoff recipient so 
you know, best of the best Corvettes there, you know, great quality, great condition, you know, NCRS and everything to back it all up and just, you know, really long-term ownership there where they've cherished and loved things. Yeah, that's really great. And I could talk about cars all day. I could talk about Corvettes. I could talk about Bentleys, whatever. Uh, is there any other particular car you like to call out that you're familiar with from this auction that's kind of cool to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a BMW guy. I had a 2002 for many years and loved it in the uh, golf yellow color. Um, you know, I like square boxes, as I said before. And there's a 1977 uh, 320i that's in the sale, which is, you know, a true time capsule of originality and unbelievable condition. Great color in that orange. It's a really, really unbelievable example with, you know, only something like 30,000 miles on the clock. And, you know, for me, that's what I would almost take home. Right. Okay. And then I saw you have a car that's a little newer, and I'm curious about this car, the 2012 Mercedes-Benz SLS AMG. Are those starting to appreciate in your mind? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's a really special moment uh, in Mercedes, you know, model production, actually. You know, very rarely do they make something that's, like, you know, truly limited today. But the SLSs, I think, were only available through, you know, special dealer partners, and they were hard to get. Not that they're a numbered car, but you know, very low production, special order only, you know, not for dealer inventory. And, you know, we've seen a number of examples, you know, approach the 200,000 mark in the last 12 months alone. Uh, we offered, I think, two or three cars consecutively where we achieved those prices. And, you know, I think they're a real special moment in time because, you know, you almost never see going doors on, you know, anything that's factory production that's outside of a Lamborghini or Pagani or something, you know, crazy unique. And as a, as a Mercedes, you know, I think that's a really, you know, special moment. And I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, so I love seeing the Porsches on there. A lot of 911s. And the two cars that kind of stick out to me are the American Muscle. There's a couple of Pontiacs, a 99 Pontiac Firebird Trans Am Convertible, which, you know, we're just now starting to see those get into the auctions. And then a 94 Pontiac Trans Am 25th Anniversary are you seeing those pop up more and more in the auction world? Yeah, I've seen a couple pop up. Uh, only just recently, I think I saw a couple of cars pop up on a competitor site. I'm really seeing them start to come through. You know, they are a very unique type of car. Unbelievable styling. You know, nothing else kind of looks like it. And, you know, these things that you're, you're still finding with, you know, very, very low miles. Uh, are what people want. Yeah, we're seeing that with the Fox bodies. You know, they had a lot of record-breaking numbers come out a year or so ago. I mean, it makes total sense that that would transition to the Camaros and the Pontiacs at the same time frame, so that makes sense. Well, I guess the last kind of group of cars I wanted to see if you could comment on are the AC Cobras, and specifically, these are not the original 2000-3000 series cars, but I think we have a 1,000 series and an 8,000. Could you kind of give us a, an overview of how do the different series work and when you're looking at AC Cobras? Yeah, I think they call them continuations as they are made by Shelby America, and they're using uh, you know the continued sequence from the original cards, as you say, in you know, different lineages. So I think they started somewhere in the late 90s, early 2000s with, a, with this idea, and they created the CSX 1000 cars. And we've got one of those, the 427. That, those were the first cars that I believe were offered as a factory continuation, you know, 100%, you know, true replica, so to speak, of the original done by the people that built them new, continuing in sequential numbers from, you know, 1,000 onwards. I believe all of them were in the aluminum body. Uh, later series of the 4,000, you had a choice between, you know, fiberglass or aluminum for body and different, you know, motor specifications. 
And then I think their most recent series was the 8,000. And those, again, went all back to Alloy and are, you know, some of the most prized along with the 1,000s. The 4,000s, I believe, are middle of the road just because they offered a little bit more variance uh, away from the original. Right. And it looks like in the auction we have a 1,000 and a 8,000. So a couple different offerings there, which is really cool. So we kind of reviewed some British cars, some muscle cars, some 90s cars, a little bit of everything. How would you know our listeners learn more about uh, this auction and participate? Yeah, go to our website, rmsotheby's.com, and you'll click on the uh, the sale page right under the main header. It's called Open Roads North America. The sale takes place from the 23rd to the 30th of July. If you uh, reach out to any of us through client services, there'll be a contact us button there for register to bid. Uh, we can get you squared away with uh, getting an account set up, and therefore you'll be able to uh, bid on anything in the sale. Well, cool. All right. Well, we talked about the uh, online sale for RM Sotheby's Open Road. So how about your passion for cars? When did that start? Were you like a little tiny kid playing with Matchbox cars? Did someone have a BMW 2002 you fell in love with? What's the story behind your passion for cars? Yeah, my father was uh, peripherally in the business as he worked at Sotheby's. And uh, in the mid-90s, he came home one day with a original, I believe it was a 5,000-mile 911 Porsche 1965. So very first year of production, true low miles, 100% original. Had, you know, an old Life magazine, which we still have, you know, from the <laughs> month that it was produced. And I remember sitting in the back of that thing and absolutely loving it. It was a special color of dove gray with red interior. He unfortunately sold it, you know, a couple of years later for, I think, something like 3000 more. Then he paid for it and felt like a hero. But, you know, at $15,000 back then, um, who's laughing now is that car is probably, you know, several hundred thousand given its originality. I know where it sits today. I'd like to buy it back one day. Um, <laughs> haven't Save quite got pennies. all my... Yeah, I got to get my pennies in the line there. But uh, that's kind of where it started for me. And then been very fortunate here to work at Arm Sotheby's for the last five years or so and really got an exposure to a much, you know, greater depth of cars than I ever imagined. You know, growing up, I never had uh, much of a pre-war experience. And today, you know, pre-war Bentleys through some client exposure and rallies and things like that. Uh, have, you know, really caught my eye and I've migrated away from what I started out being interested to, to, you know, what gets me excited today. That's really, really great. Now we know one car that's on your wish list, which is that original 911. Is there another car? I guess it would be a, a Bentley, but which Bentley? Oh gosh, uh, how could I choose? Um, <laughs> I did the Colorado Grand with a client in a three, four and a half liter that was built as a rally car by Graham Moss, who's kind of the you know preeminent uh, pre-war Bentley person. That was pretty spectacular. But if I'm left to my own devices with a blank checkbook, I'm probably taking a Speed Six Bentley with a uh, Vandenplot open body, uh, you know, like the old Brooklyn's cars. Wow, that's a gorgeous car. Now, did they all come in British Racing Green? Uh, the factory race cars did, um, you know, other cars that were fitted with different bodies did have different colors back and forth, but the race cars were all green to my knowledge. Now, in your travels, specifically over these last five years, is there a barn find story you can share? Now, I know sometimes there are clients of yours and you cannot share them, but is there a particular barn find story you can share? Yeah, absolutely. It's actually one of the best cars and consignments I've ever been involved with where um, our friends at Haggerty Insurance, you know, provided us a referral for a very sweet family that uh, was from Texas that had an old 1955 Speedster in their garage that hadn't seen light of day in maybe 30 years. And, you know, long story short, we end up uh, reaching an agreement, uh, bringing the car to our Hershey, Pennsylvania sale. 
and you know they were probably expecting something around the range of a hundred thousand dollars when we first started the conversation and I you know very happily told them it was worth a lot more in the end it smashed through high estimate I believe by memory just shy of four hundred thousand dollars which at the time was a record because neither of the uh, blue cars had sold yet that kind of set the world on fire that uh, both Seinfeld bought and then we had the following year and it was a really meaningful thing because you know it was great where you can help out a family where uh, the money really went to a good cause they never knew what it uh, could have been worth and you know the buyer got a great original car and everyone walked away happy and they were in the sale room you know with tears you know um, remembering their father who owned the car, and it was just a great event. Now, what color was this car? This was the orange one. It had been repainted um, yeah, years ago, and it wasn't a factory color anymore. I believe it was born white, and it was kind of an orange color that was very faded with you know UV exposure. And I can't give you the name of the color because I don't think it's a Porsche <laughs> color. I think he just kind of sprayed it that way and it turned into something like orange. Wow, so like traffic cone orange, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. A little bit more sun faded than that. It was part of our Hershey, Pennsylvania sale in 2016. So if you go to our website and go to results, you'll see it there. We call it um, the Hershey Speedster uh, here at work because it was the first time that we had really offered a sports car in that sale, which is predominantly um, American classics, but it just goes to show that there is a venue for every car. People like to focus in on what's most appropriate. That's true to an extent, but also if you present the right product at the right prices, you know, people will find it. Now, is that the car that was seen on Haggerty's Barn Fine Hunter? Yes. Uh, Tom Cotter did a feature on the car um, pre-auction, and then um, we got involved kind of at the end of that process when they finished uh, doing their video. And then Tom also came to uh, Hershey and, you know, helped the sellers uh, go through the process and were there. Uh, and it was, you know, just a, you know, a great, meaningful sale for everybody. That's great. Now, if you like Haggerty's Barn Find Hunter, go back a few episodes. And I interviewed Tom Cotter recently. And then if you like speedsters, go even back further and look at my two historic speedsters from one collection where I interviewed a collector who actually owned uh, one of the rare Carrera speedsters that is now in the Porsche Museum. And then also he sold Seinfeld, one of his first speedsters ever in the early 1990s. So if you like speedsters, we got plenty of content for you. <laughs> well, that's a great story. Now, what is your driver's car? Anything cool? Yeah, I mean, I've got a 250 Ferrari uh, GTPF Coupe in the garage currently. Uh, unfortunately, you might be seeing it for sale um, as, you know, it's time to, you know, move that one out and get something new. I've done everything I could ever imagine with it. I took it on the sports car market rally last year, 1,000 miles through Washington and Oregon uh, with the president of RM, Ken On, and we had a great time there. You know, I had the, you know, both pleasure and misfortune of having to rebuild the motor. Um, so I went through that process, which, you know, makes you cry when you see the bill, but when you get it, you're, you know, infinitely happier as, you know, the car is running so well now, it's basically turnkey. The power, you know, that it produces now is just, you know, exponentially more than uh, what it was when I first got it. So that's been a really, really great car. And, you know, I've also owned uh, five or six Lancia Delta Integrales over the years, but I've only owned them long enough to ever drive one of them. Um, each time I buy one, a friend wants one or something, and it wasn't 25 years old or something like that to get back to the U.S., so I've always sold it. 
So at some point, I'll own a Delta long enough where I can, you know, keep it in my own garage. Yeah, that's great. Those are great cars. Now, this is a hard question, but if I gave you $100,000, what would you buy? Like, what collector car? It doesn't have to mean you want it to appreciate in value, but just to put in your own garage. Great question. Um, the easy answer is a Delta Integrale Evo 2 because I've done it and just haven't really done it yet. I, but I guess that's not really a fair response. If I could have anything, I'm not even sure 100 might do it today. They might have moved up in value, but a Subaru 22B. I think would be really interesting. Um, my rule for my own garage, if it's been at auction before, I've kind of, you know, missed the boat on values. Um, and I think I missed the boat on that. So, you know, I'd probably have to settle for an Integrale or something of that era. Maybe it's, gosh, I don't even know, uh, some little alpha. Um, maybe I could get away with um, a GTV or something like that would might be my favorite. Right, right. Okay. No, that's a great answer. Now, what recent trends have you seen in the collector car marketplace? It's been really crazy with COVID. Broad strokes, because I know we're kind of going through a generational shift here where we're getting a lot more of the 80s and 90s and even 2000 cars are appreciating value. And we're seeing some softness in the 30s and 40s and even the 50s. But what kind of trends are you seeing that you could comment on? Yeah, honestly, you know, with the current situation and, you know, where things stand with COVID, um, I would say it's been more of the same in terms of market dynamics and trends in that certain segments were already, you know, fallen off from their peak values of, you know, 36, 48 months ago. And, you know, certain segments have responded well and held through. You know, as an example, um, Ferrari Daytonas and BBs and, you know, certain things like that have fallen down and they're, they have continued to do so. But other segments like this whole young timer group of uh, pre-merger AMG cars and everything have come on strong. So I wouldn't say the virus has changed any one dynamic or segment in particular um, as a direct result. I'd say it's just more of a uh, accelerated pace of what was already happening, where lesser cars are, you know, getting passed over and being told they're too expensive, but the truly great things uh, are still selling. That's the hardest part today is getting access to the great stuff. All right. Well, I know with COVID, a lot of Auction houses has, have transitioned from live events to online events. And I know RM Sotheby's famously transitioned the West Palm event in, I don't know, 10 days or less. So what kind of activity are you seeing when you compare online versus uh, live? Yeah, as you say, you know, we had an existing online platform that we were able to basically flip the switch and turn on for the Palm Beach sale when the decision was made not to host it live. And since that time, you know, we haven't looked back and it's, you know, certainly a, a, a market segment which we're you know very enthused about and going to be you know investing you know into the future you know so far all of our stats have seen a meaningful up uptick against year over year um, facts and figures from their you know concurrent live events uh, as an example you know we've had an average number of 20 bids placed per lot you know that's probably a little bit higher than in a live event you know 10% uh, higher um, in terms of average number of bidders per sale and we're averaging almost 40% higher in new bidder registration year over year than the, you know, concurrent physical auction. And, you know, our website, you know, traffic has gone up as well. And, you know, it's a avenue that I think works for a lot of cars in certain price points. Um, a live sale will still be a live sale for, you know, the very high end, very well documented cars. But for kind of more of the mass market, you know, online provides such a bigger avenue and reach for people that wouldn't necessarily attend an event. 
And, you know, we've seen tremendous results and something we hope to continue. That's really great. Yeah, I've seen the numbers come through, and it's amazing how many folks we're getting from all over the world to register that had never registered with us before. So that's a cool trend to see happening. Now, one last thing, and I don't believe I gave you a heads up, so I apologize for this, but it's fun. Um, I play a little game called Keep, Cash, and Crush. So I give you three cars, and you have to tell me which one you want to keep forever, which one you want to cash in, and then which one you don't mind sending to the crusher. So it's meant to be painful. And what's interesting is you actually mentioned one of the cars I picked. And I, I've met you before, but I don't know you that well. So I, I feel good about the squirm factor when, uh, when I give you these three cars. So are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. I don't know if I'm prepared, but I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So I decided to pick three cars. I know you, you like to drive your cars. So I decided to pick three driver cars. So the first one I picked is a Jaguar. Now, this is a recreation, a Jaguar XKSS recreation, one of nine built. So the reason I picked the recreation, it just wouldn't be fair to pick a $30, $40 million car for you. Now, these were, I think they stickered at about $1.2 million. The second one I'll pick for you is a real 1963 289 AC Cobra, one of the iconic cars. And then the third is another recreation, but this is the controversial 1929 Bentley Blower recreation. And if I did my math right, those are going to sell for around $1.9 million when they're finally built, and they're going to build 12 of them. So those okay. are your three cars. Yeah, Jaguar XKSS recreation, 1963 289 AC Cobra, a real one, and then a 1929 Bentley Blower recreation. So which one would you keep forever? Which one would you cash in? And then which one would you not mind sending to the crusher? So I would say this is actually a fairly easy response for me because Uh-oh. it'll segue into a different topic. <laughs> so I'm definitely going to keep the 289 because it's you know one of the greatest cars of all time. You can do everything with it. Um, but most importantly for me is it's real. So I'm keeping that one. Um, I'm going to cash in the XKSS because that car already exists today and I can then go use the money and buy something else. And I'm definitely crushing the Bentley Blower because I hope they don't make it and you know, I think the trend of continuation cars, while important, and I understand the dynamics of it, I do think there's an element um, that's very dangerous about it. Given they haven't produced them yet, I'm going to crush that one. I'm going to cash wow. in the XKSS, and I'm going to keep the 289. Okay, I did not see that coming. Okay, so tell me, so I'm curious, because it seems to be quite either you want a made or you don't want a made. And I, I guess my only temperature gauge is AC Cobras. You know, we talked about the continuation Cobras. They don't have a factor. They don't really impact the original cars, as far as I can tell from a price perspective. I know folks were talking about these 12 impacting the real, you know, four or so that are out there. What's your logic for not wanting that built and not liking that trend? I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, I think that it dilutes not only, you know, the value is one thing, and that's important in my, you know, monetary business. But I'll use the value in a different definition of in terms of how special the real one is. You know, if you look at, you know, a wonderful piece of artwork and you see a copy next to it, you know, you can see how it doesn't quite have the same lighting, the quite, you know, same shine or charm of the original. And I think that's present with the continuation cars. I think it's a great thing in terms of exposure because there's not enough of that today, just given the numbers of these things that exist in the flesh. But I think that, you know, the real cars should remain a moment in time and we shouldn't necessarily um, bring them back to life. I understand the need for them in certain aspects of vintage racing um, or touring where an owner might want to have the 
there just because it makes more sense in those situations. But releasing, you know, the XKSSs I'll pick on because they exist today. I think releasing those to the market to, you know, a team of buyers that, um, you know, don't necessarily have exposure or own one of the real cars, I don't think is a great trend going forward. I just think it, you know, kind of um, eliminates some of the passion and the collecting that, you know, you acquire by, you know, chasing after these things over time. And I don't think that they belong in the same conversation as the real cars because it's not right. the same thing, even though they'll say it's designed to the same specification. It is on paper, but, you know, I, I think there's a very big difference between having um, an authentic car with history um, to having something that's of new manufacture. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. What's interesting, I was reading about those Bentleys, and apparently you can have the floorboards show wear marks from the racing boots <laughs> back in period, or you can get them made factory fresh. So they're even trying to replicate the wear in the cars, which is pretty interesting. But like you said, you can't get it back to the real ones, the ones that have 90 years of wear on them. That's that's where it comes down to, so that's pretty cool. And I respect your answer. That's great. Well, what's the best way? I, I know we said it earlier, but let's go ahead and say it again. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about RM Sotheby's and the Open Roads North America sale? Yeah, go to our website, rmsotheby's.com. You'll find a banner link to the uh, North American Open Roads auction, and you can click on register to bid. And from there, you'll just you know create a username and a password, and one of our team of uh, client service members will reach out and uh, get you squared away. And within that, you'll see all the cars available on offer just shy of 100 cars or so um, for about $8 million in value. So um, there's anything and everything for um, uh, whatever your personal preference is. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time today, Barney. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.